All right, well, let's get to our next topic. Uh, most people agree that after eight years of Obama that America is more divided now than it's been since the Civil War. The differences between blue states like California and red states like Texas are stark, and they're so stark that it's considered to be irreconcilable. Now, irreconcilable differences are valid grounds for divorce in a marriage, and some people think it's time to consider a national divorce from red, of red states from blue, straight, blue states. One of those people is Daniel Miller from the Texas Nationalist Movement. Movement. Welcome to the program, Daniel. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, Alan. Well, tell us a little bit about the Texas Nationalist Movement and what, uh, what solutions do you see for this divided nation? Wow. Well, let, let me let me first off uh, tell you a little bit about who we are. Uh, the Texas Nationalist Movement is one of the largest independence movements in, in in the world. We're the second largest in the Western Hemisphere, and we are focused solely on uh, regaining the right of self-government for the people of Texas. So this is you know the and you know what what you said in in the run-up is is absolutely true. We we've got some some fundamental differences with how we want to govern ourselves here in Texas than the rest of the United States. And so increasingly Texans are, are being forced to answer the question that, you know, who better to govern Texas? Is it Texans or the two and a half million unelected bureaucrats in Washington, D.C.? When was the TNM established? Well, we go back, our history actually is rooted back in the 90s, but we, we officially became an organization uh, back in 2005, uh, we it was a very long journey, uh, but you know, much like uh, many of the, the independence movements around the world, uh, you know, this is, has been a long time coming. But the, the current iteration is is really uh, what people want to see. You know, they they want to see a political movement uh, that's made up of of a very large cross section of, of their fellow countrymen. Can you, can you tell us about the membership level and kind of trajectory for the membership? Is it growing? Uh, has, it, has it been stable? Yeah, as of as of the last count, uh, which we, we do the counts uh, every Thursday, uh, our current support base is just shy under 370,000, uh, which makes us one of the, the largest political organizations in Texas. I mean, again, not insubstantial. Um, but but you know this is this is the product of a lot of work and a lot of uh, educating and connecting with people throughout Texas, and uh, you know as we continue on, we expect to push that number even higher. But I think it's important to to note, Alan, that when you begin to look at the support, it's not just those people who have positively come to us and said, you know, I, I support what you do, I want to be a part of it. Uh, more than that, I think you, you have to look at the impacts uh, that those people have throughout the rest of Texas. Uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll just I'll point to the, the indicators in, in the polling. Back in 2014, during the Scottish independence referendum, uh, Reuters conducted a poll where they asked the question: Do you know? They asked Texans, "Do you believe that your state should uh, leave the union?" And what, what the results were, I think, were astonishing for many people, uh, not for us. I mean, because it's something that we had we've been saying all along is we believe the, the people of Texas are ready for this. But the breakdowns were surprising to a lot of people, where you had 54% of Republicans said that they were in favor of it. Uh, you had right at half of independent voters and 35% of Democrats 
So, you know, what we are seeing here is, is we're seeing a, from that time to this time, uh, where the mainstream media and the, the political pundits uh, predicted that a, a Trump victory would plateau or even nearly uh, decimate our support, uh, what we have seen is a steady stream of growth uh, that goes unbroken regardless of who sits in the White House. Interesting. That was one of my questions. I, I was assuming that when the GOP got all three branches of the government, that that might have slowed down membership a little bit. Yeah, and, and really that's not the case. I mean, I think that there is a, a misconception that somehow this idea of independence resides in, in that same sort of partisan fight that you would find, you know, the, the budget or, you know, one of these other very partisan issues. But that's not been our experience. You know, we've, we've literally had, had years and years to go out and connect with people uh, from all walks of life throughout Texas. And, and what we have found out is that regardless of political party, uh, regardless of, of what someone may call their political affiliation, uh, there is a, a deep, deep distrust for Washington, D.C. And, and when, when the question is posed to these folks, which is, you know, who, who, who is better to govern Texas? Who do you want to have the say in your life? Is it you or is it some unelected bureaucrat in Washington, D.C.? The answer is, is obvious for them, regardless of their political affiliation. Uh, I think it's interesting. Uh, I, I'll throw this out there, Alan, because I think this is interesting. It goes to that point. You know, we just launched our candidate endorsement process yesterday morning, uh, and half of the candidates that actually submitted surveys uh, were not Republicans. Uh, and I think that that is probably something that was surprising to a lot of folks, but not to us. I mean, it's, it's something that we we understand from being out there and present uh, with the people of Texas in their neighborhoods and communities. Yeah, and I would think that a lot of those folks that, that are not Republicans might have become recent converts to the idea of secession after Trump got in. You know, we noticed lately that uh, we've been hearing a lot that California now wants to secede. And I think we'd all approve that move. But do you think this sudden affinity that liberals now have to secession may be a plus. It may play into the hands of more conservative organizations like TNM. Well, I, I think I think what is important to understand uh, about the, the newfound religion of the left, uh, which is that, that of self-government, uh, is, is one of convenience. And I think it, it really points out the hypocrisy of the mainstream media. You know, we have, since our inception, we've taken our lumps uh, from the left-leaning media. I mean, they, they bash us every chance they get, with, with very few exceptions. Uh, however, when the idea of CalExit was floated uh, and, and, you know, the idea that they were going to have a petition, which, you know, this they, they started that process before Trump became president, by the way. I think that it's important to note that. But right after, right after uh, Trump's election, the media began to, to really focus on, on the Californian independence folks and, and give them, and I mean, they, they literally, I think the Washington Post and, and uh, the New York Times and the rest of those guys became the propaganda arm for, for those guys. But, but the, bottom, the bottom line is, is that, you know, in, in doing so, what they have done is they have essentially erased the last decade plus of, of slams and smears against us. 
you know, everything they would would publish uh, in the mainstream media or that the left would use to, to attack us uh, has now come off the table. They used to tell us that it was illegal and unconstitutional. And because of their support for CalExit, suddenly that's not a problem. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I'm just glad they finally found a copy of one, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about economics. If, if Texas did secede, would we still be liable for a portion of its huge national debt that's been run up by Washington, D.C.? Well, I think I think that is the key. I mean, look, I, I don't, Alan, I don't cut these things simple because these are not, and, and I don't, I don't think oversimplification uh, does does the people of Texas justice on this debate. Uh, there, is, we are. The longer we stay in the union, uh, we will continue to be liable for the portion of the national debt. Now, that being said. I think as we move, you know, obviously the first step is a referendum, and we have to go get that referendum, and we have to win it. But once we move past that, we go into that negotiation and transition phase, you know, very much like we're, we're seeing Theresa May do a terrible job at with Brexit right now. Uh, but, but as part of that, I think we have to look at that percentage of the national debt in two ways. First, we have to look at it as, as cautionary. Uh, in the sense that time is of the essence. The longer we stay, the, the more the debt runs up. Uh, but number two is we have to look at it as a part of the whole. You know, we cannot ignore the fact that for decades, Texas has put far more into the federal system than we have received out. Uh, you know, at least over the last 10 plus years since our inception, that gap has been anywhere from 100. Uh, billion to 150 billion dollars every single solitary year. So you know we we cannot ignore the fact in this process of, of determining who owes what uh, that you know Texas has has definitely overpaid. We have to look at it in total. And, and talk about that referendum that you mentioned. What what would it take to get that and to let the people of Texas vote on this initiative? Well, one of the things that people don't understand is that we have referenda here all the time in Texas. I mean, we do, whether it's property taxes or, you know, bond issues, whatever it is, Texans have it. However, the one thing that we don't have is we don't have a statutory framework for a statewide referendum, So, especially for, for this particular thing. So the first thing that, that has to be done is legislation has to be introduced and passed out of the Texas legislature that will establish the, the voting framework uh, for this vote. Now, we have, uh, we have obviously, we've got a piece of legislation that we've been, that we have drafted as an organization and we have been pushing hard for in the, in the uh, legislature. Last session uh, was the closest that we have come in a, in a while to actually getting this legislation filed. Uh, but that's what it's going to take. We have to get this bill passed. Uh, we have a copy of it on our website at TexasNationalist.com, and uh, anyone can take a look at that piece of legislation and, and see what we're doing. It's it's modeled after some initial legislation that we drafted uh, back in our early days, uh, plus the, the Scottish uh, independence referendum legislation and the Brexit referendum. Uh, structurally, they're very similar. 
What about federal lands, Daniel? Do you envision any change to the status of federal lands uh, in Texas if secession could happen? What about military bases and all the other federal lands? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, Texas Texas is lucky uh, in the sense that we, unlike many states, we, we don't have a tremendous amount of federally owned land here. But it is something that's going to have to be discussed. Whether those federally owned lands continue under a lease or Texas uh, buys out or it just reverts title. Uh, either way, okay, so you, you take the federal land issue and then you look at the military issue because the military base issue is one that comes up quite a bit. And, and while it may seem like a complex issue, uh, it, it is actually probably the least complex. Um, in the sense that one of the things that we have to understand <clears throat> is that Texas and the United States, if Texas, with Texas outside of the Union, Texas and the United States still have common defense concerns. So you could you could have a situation where, uh, and, and again, I, I can't guarantee that this is how it will go down, uh, but you could have a situation where uh, with Texas outside of the Union, Texas already currently has its own military, the Texas Military Department. Uh, you, you could have a situation where Texas and the United States in, enter into a mutual defense pact. Uh, you could have a situation where Texas decides to join NATO. Uh, you know, there there are uh, there are plenty of options out there. I think I think what we have to understand here, though, and and it's this. I think this is an important lesson that, that tends to go missed. People look at this or have a tendency to look at this as an adversarial move. Uh, there are a lot of good reasons why the United States should support Texas being outside of the Union. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons why Texans should look at it and say, look, you know, we could potentially have a much better relationship with the United States uh, beside it rather than within it. And, and defense is, is one of those. Alan, just let you know you're at 15 minutes on interview. On currency, do you see that... How do you envision that working? Would we'll continue to use the U.S. dollar for the foreseeable future, or would we create our own uh, currency? You know, I, I think that the real the real benefit to independence where currency is concerned is options. You know, right now as a state, we have none. You know, we we're locked into the U.S. dollar, uh, but outside of the union, we have all the options are on the table. You know, we could we could essentially establish an informal currency union and continue to utilize the United States dollar without their permission, uh, like many other countries do, until such a time as we decide that we want our own currency. Uh, so, you know, there there are a lot of options uh, that that come out, whether it's an informal currency union, a formal currency union, or we come up with our own. Um, there are a lot of folks out there that have have looked at this issue uh, of what a currency, a, a Texas currency, should be, uh, and and I will tell you, there, Alan, there are a lot smarter minds that are on that currency issue than, than me. <laughs> a lot, be, a lot better off. But you know, the, the I think to go back to it, I, I think really what the promise of that is is, is really options. You know, currently as we're tied to the Federal Reserve. Uh, we, we have no options other than to, to deal with them as they see fit and to operate at the whims of that, their monetary policy. But as an independent nation, we, we have every option uh, on the table. Alan, you're at 16 minutes. Right. Just want to let you know. Okay. 
we'll wrap it quick. As far as taxes, Daniel, what, uh, what, what type of tax system would you see Texas imposing? You know, one of the things that, that you can be guaranteed is that Texans uh, are extraordinarily resistant to an income tax. <laughs> and and I, I, don't see, I don't foresee that changing any time in the near future. Um, but, you know, the, the thing to go back to is, is what we were talking about earlier, which is how much Texans are overpaying into the federal system. You know, right now, as, as Texans overpay into the federal system, uh, we, have to, we have to imagine that day when Texas becomes an independent nation and that wealth and revenue and value stays here in Texas. Uh, we, we may not have to do anything differently to, to capture that revenue. Uh, you know, we can we could uh, look and take a well. I'll, I'll give you a good example uh, of of what I'm talking about. There was a, a study uh, that was released a, a few years back that showed that the there was a, a the it basically tallied up the massive impact of federal overregulation on the economy, and and said that because those federal regulations have sandbagged since 1949. Uh, what it has essentially done is it has reduced the, the earning power and, and the value that could be collected by each household by about 75%. So someone who was making the, the median income, uh, you know, take, take that number, multiply it times three or four, and that's in the ballpark of what people should be making. So, you know, you, you suddenly begin to look at the impact of that and say, look, right now Texas is focused on a consumption tax. But if all of that value were held here in Texas and people were able to keep more of their money, uh, what, would, what would they do with it? Well, obviously it would stimulate the economy, probably wind up taking Texas from the 10th largest economy up to the 4th or 5th. Uh, beyond that, what that means is because Texas has imposed what is a, essentially a consumption tax, that means that the government is going to capture a percentage of that revenue at the same rate that they are right now. So it won't cost Texans any different. We don't wind up with an income tax. And what we may find is that with that wealth and revenue being kept here in Texas, uh, we, could, we could see some, some much-needed tax relief like the repeal of that odious property tax. See, and that's where I was. That's where I was going to head because I think if you tie this movement into co combine it with the tax movement, you've got a lot of people that understand the benefits of either a flat tax or a fair consumption tax. And I think a fair consumption tax is probably the the best thing we could do. If that was part of this movement, I think that would pull a lot of interest from a lot of folks. Another question I had though is regarding on taxes is the ga the gas tax. Now you've got this huge federal gas tax on it. So what would you envision happening to that? It would just go away, or would it become a state tax uh, on top of the current state tax? Well, look, you know, we can, and, and Alan, you know, one of, the, one of the challenges that we have here is that we don't want to run into the same situation that happened in Scotland, uh, which is the Scottish referendum became less about independence and became more about uh, a, a referendum on Scottish National Party policy. Uh, they, they made promises uh, that, that essentially were not necessarily the case, and so the referendum became more about their, mani their party manifesto than it became about independence. 
So we are, as an organization, hesitant to, to, to make these concrete predictions about, hey, this is how things are going to go. But, but I, can, I can say this. Understanding what I understand about Texans, understanding that Texans prefer lower taxes, a stable regulatory structure, uh, the, the one thing that we can absolutely be guaranteed is that Texans will tax themselves if necessary to accomplish certain things. And once they get to a certain point, they will say, absolutely not. <laughs> I will not be taxed anymore. So, you know, and, and whether that applies across the, the federal the federal highway tax or, the, you know, the gas tax or, or any number of taxes and fees, the, the key fact that everyone in Texas should understand is that when you pay your federal income tax, you are sending it to Washington, D.C. for them to take a percentage of and then pass some back along to you, but only if you ask them nicely. There is nothing the federal government gives to Texas that did not first come out of the pockets of a hardworking man or woman here in Texas. I have a friend, I've, ran, I've already gone over time, but I appreciate you sharing your your, your uh, thoughts with us on that, and we look forward to talking with you again and exploring this further in the future. Thank you, Alan. I do appreciate it. This is Jordan Secchio.